0: This is the Falcon Twin Podcast from falcontwin.com. I'm Pod Pinhead Brendan, and this is commentary for pages 372 to 376. Page 372, I demand answers. So, first panel, we see a jacket being thrown down on the floor. That's Mika's jacket, and that's where she tends to throw stuff. There's a little space between this dresser that's next to Tresca's door, and then also the couch, and so that's where Mika leaves her boots and everything. And so she throws down her jacket, and Tresca thanks Evan for keeping an eye on the place. Originally, I was thinking that Evan was going to go with them, and probably, I guess, Annika too, to the mayor's office. But then ultimately, I realized they had no reason to go there, since they didn't have any real part to play in that conversation. So I decided to have Evan and Annika stay at the house and just watch over the place, which kind of made sense too. Because you never know if the people in the town are going to kind of break in and see if they can... Find something of Mika's that they could you know, keep as a souvenir, like grabbing pieces of the Berlin Wall or something. So, so it ended up working out that they stayed back and kept an eye on the house. And so Tresca closes the door. Mika asks, "What's Nia again?" This is, I think, well, at least the second time. And uh, and so Tresca kind of hesitates, and Mika finally just says, "Tell me." And as the title implies on this page, Mika is actually pretty much ordering Treska to tell her what Nia is. And in this case feels kind of justified. Mika doesn't really order people around all that much. Usually it's when she's about to start a fight, but in this case, it's one of the few times that she actually just tells a person directly what to do, and feels absolutely no, you know, compunctions about doing it. And Tresca kind of knows that she has to tell Mika sooner or later what this whole Nia thing's about anyway, so now is as good a time as any, and so she sits down, and it's story time in Falcon Twin, page 373, The Tale of Nia, part one. And the style that these ended up being was sort of up in the air until the very last minute. Originally, I was thinking of doing a kind of scratchy, black-and-white-looking thing, kind of like the clone manga guy did. And I was ready to do that up until about an hour before I started doing this page, and ultimately decided that I've never done it before, so it's probably not going to look very good, and I don't really feel like ripping off someone else's style And so I wasn't exactly sure what to do, and then I realized, well, hey, I've got this thing that I did for the opening of the chapter. Why not run with that? That seemed to work out all right. It wasn't wonderful, but it was actually something kind of different looking, and it looked okay, so I figured I would go with it. And it had the nice side benefit of not taking all that long shade compared to how long the pages normally take. And of course, I didn't have to do very fancy line art either, so that was kind of fast too. And so I ended up doing this thing, and not only did it have the benefit of being kind of easy to draw, kind of looking good, it also ended up sort of tying it together thematically between this little sequence here and the title page at the beginning of the chapter. And so this, I guess, is kind of a thematic thing for not only this whole relationship between Mika and Treska and this tale of Nea thing, but it's also a near Tendra, that this style of imagery is probably what you would find if you went and found ancient manuscripts, illuminated manuscripts in near Tendra that described these stories, they would probably look something like this. And so this is the tale of Nia, and finally you get to see what it's all about. A nice reference in the second panel that no one got yet, but I'm sure someone's going to point it out sooner or later. And one of the interesting things about doing this is sometimes it's kind of hard to illustrate stuff in silhouette. I also gave Nia long blonde hair to contrast directly with Mika's hair, partly because of the, the way that the story relates to what actually happened, which I'll talk about in a second but I didn't want it to be a girl with short black hair, because then it would have been way too obvious. And there's no real reason that it would have been either. I mean, is supposed to be this kind of Norse beauty, and the whole idea of Near Tender is that they're all kind of Norse people, and there are a lot of blonde ladies with long hair in those areas of the world. So, So that ended up kind of making sense. But yeah, communicating some of these things in silhouette was kind of difficult. I think I was kind of happiest with the second to last panel, with Nia ripping the people to pieces. That ended up looking better than I was hoping. I was kind of annoyed with the last panel because that large blob in the upper right is actually one person holding the upper half of another person who's been ripped in half, but you don't actually see the second person's head or I should say the first person's head. The person doing the holding, their entire head has been kind of pasted over with the text and so you don't really know that that's a person at all, it's just kind of this amorphous blob. But yeah, all in all the the whole kind of layout of this thing ended up working out kind of okay. Colors were alright. The Originally, I had just flat colors, and then I had to go in and throw on a, a curves command in order to just crank the colors a little bit. And, and staining, there were some color things, too. that You notice, like, around uh, Nia in the fourth panel, you can see kind of this orangish-pinkish haze behind her, which illustrates rage. Again, it's like, how do you illustrate rage in silhouette? It's kind of difficult. And so you can kind of see this a little bit coming off of her back, like flames or something rising up from her back. And then in the the fifth panel, you can also see some blood and stuff. Also blood on her hair and on her claws and everything. It ended up working out really well. I was kind of happy with the way that the talents and everything worked out. And all the mass of people, it really kind of has the same sort of limbs flying and body parts flying effect that I was kind of aiming for. So, and this is just layers and layers and layers and layers of Photoshop textures, which are almost all stock textures that come with Photoshop. But fortunately, if you use enough of them, it kind of hides that. Anyway, the whole idea behind the story of Neo was that it wasn't going to be a 100% parallel between what happened with Mika and what happened in the story. The main similarity is that, well, this person killed a lot of people, and that's about the extent of it. People kind of connected the dots, but it's not really a direct equivalent of the story. It just happens to be a story about this goddess who killed a lot of people and it worked out in the end. And that's what happened with Mika also, but that's really kind of a tenuous connection if you get right down to it. And so that's the whole idea with the tale of Nia, is that it's supposed to be a myth. It's not one of those ancient fables where, you know, the legendary hero will come and he will be named Bob, and then sure enough, Bob shows up and he's exactly as described in the legends. that wasn't the idea. The idea was that they have this legend, and if you look at the data, you know, and squint hard enough, you can sort of match the two and say, oh, it's just the same. But in reality, the similarities are only vague at best. Page 374. So here's part two, where Nia gets punished by the gods, exiled down on the ground. Again, the same thing in the first panel. How are you going to communicate Nia being stripped of her hideous weapons in silhouette? I don't know, uh, but that's what I came up with. is just this sort of flash coming out of her chest, and uh, I don't know. I guess it worked. The second panel, originally she was on a ground that kind of looked like the fourth panel, that was about the same sort of color and same tone. But then I realized the text said she was on the soil she had laid slick with the blood of countless millions. And then I realized that, well, the soil has to be kind of dark in order to convey that there's blood on it. So I ended up having to go back in later and recolor that, which is why the values don't match up very well between the floor and Nia herself. Nia seems to be a bit kind of washed out compared to the floor beneath her. And also the shadow too is maybe a bit of a cheat. I mean, I don't think you'd have a shadow like that if you're supposed to be doing it in silhouette. So at the very end, it falls into an inescapable depression. That one was a little bit easier to convey. I guess it's easier to convey a person who's depressed. And then falls down. Originally, I was not in the thumbnail. I was going to have her on panel four in the position that she is now, with her lower half in the upper left, and then her head down in the bottom right. And then I decided, well, that would be kind of awkward. And then I went when I was drawing it, I just went ahead and drew it this way. Anyhow, almost on accident, but it ended up being okay because it, sort of, it's supposed to be awkward, it's not supposed to be a perfectly composed, framed thing that's beautiful and glorious, it's just this chick who killed herself and now she's dead. And so a bizarre kind of camera angle ended up being fine for that. I never was really as happy with all the texturing on the second page as I was on the previous page, page 373, but there you go. And then, of course, the, the fifth panel, yet another time where how do you convey the idea of humans having vanished from the world countless eons ago? The last panel kind of worked out, though, between the textures. I mean, there's just layers and layers and layers and layers of texture there. So there's cracks in the background, and there's all kinds of goofy stuff. And so on the right-hand side, you can see her... I should say on her right-hand side, you can see the claws and sort of dark and blood and evil. And then in her left hand, you can see a heart, which has sort of bluish and flaming-looking, bright, brilliant life-like things coming out there to convey the, the idea of life. And so this is, you know again, coming back to the whole idea of Viking mythology and Hindu mythology, where people are doing kind of wacky, unbelievable things. And even if they're not, you know, I'm sure that there are other myths out there in Near Tendran lore that are completely and totally inconsistent with this, where people were never exterminated or people were you know, created in an entirely different way. But then again, that's not unheard of in a lot of these myths either. And so this is that's the whole idea of Nia, is that even though she is the goddess of killing lots of people she's not an entirely evil figure because if it weren't for her killing lots of people and kind of culling the herd then there would have been too many people and they would have all died long long ago and so that's why people kind of worship her not only because she kills lots of people and they're afraid but also because you know if not for her they wouldn't be there and so there's this kind of duality to the to the thing and, and which is not entirely dissimilar to some of the other dualities in in characters like Mika for instance in Sydney Page 375, and so Tresca finished telling her little story. Tresca would be familiar with these stories a lot more than many other people in Near Tender. I mean, it's something that a lot of people probably know vaguely, what all these stories are, and they have a vague understanding of who Nia is. But it's kind of like, you know, when one of these books comes out on, say, John Adams, then all of a sudden everyone's an expert on John Adams. Most of the people who who would read a book like that wouldn't know jack about John Adams until they read the book, and so it's the same thing with... Mika and the whole Nia connection where no one really gave a crap about Nia and was only kind of peripherally aware of her until this person came down and did what they thought made her Nia and then everyone was all of a sudden a big fan of, of Nia. But Tresca on the other hand would know a lot of this lore because she's sort of proud of her hometown and so she cares a lot more about this stuff. And that's why she's able to recite the story, you know, directly, as opposed to someone else who'd probably had to drag out a book or go to the library or something like that. Tresca can can tell the story right away. And so Mika now understands why people are drawing the parallels. And so she asks the important question is whether or not Tresca believes that Mika is Nia. And of course, Tresca answers no with a little bit of hesitation. But ultimately, Tresca knows that Mika isn't Nia and that this whole phenomenon is just a bunch of people coming to the conclusion. You know, a bunch of people looking for someone to follow, which is a theme that just has happened over and over again throughout the centuries and is not new in any way. And people will try to find someone to, to tell them what to do. And Tresca knows that, that this isn't the case with Mika. Mika's not a goddess, and she's just the person who did some stuff that appears to be similar to something that someone wrote a whole long time ago, which probably never, ever even happened at all. And so, yeah, the characters look really bad on this page. Mika thanks Tresca. there's a little bit of a kind of awkward moment between the two of them there. Page 376, Home. This is one of the few times that I can get away with doing a title like that. And so, Tresca, this is something tresca has been stewing on for a couple of days, ever since Mika got back, which is that, you know, Mika doesn't really have a home in this world and she's been there and basically just been on the move the entire time until she got here and so tresca said well i guess i should do something about this and it's probably the least i can do considering that mika did go out and do this thing tresca of course still doesn't know mika's motivations for it but for now she she does appreciate what mika did even though she's kind of conflicted about the whole thing for a variety of reasons but so she she takes this step and says well you know you can you can live here even though she's kind of making excuses for it. But she does kind of feel bad, too, especially since in some way she does feel that she's gotten Mika dragged into this a little bit, not completely. I mean, obviously, at the very beginning it was Mika volunteering, but but they did decide to to come to near Tendra, and, and Treska introduced her to everyone and got her kind of settled in. And so as, as the situations all kind of come together, Treska feels like she should probably do something nice for Mika since Mika's done this big thing that benefited Tresca. And her family, too. I mean, you know, Tresca didn't know whether that was going to be the end of her family. You know, mom, dad, and little sister are all going to die. So Mika saved them from that. So Tresca still feels a little bit obligated to, to kind of even up a little bit. And a big relief when Tresca offers this to Mika, not only because, of course, Mika likes Tresca, but also just because, you know, Mika doesn't really have a home in this world until this point. And so Tresca decides to offer it to her. I mean, at this point, I mean, they're both best friends. So it's not entirely unreasonable that Tresca could say, well, you know, you can, until you find some other place to put down roots anyway, you can have this place. So Tresco says, you know, maybe we should go to that feast after all. And, you know, and they haven't had any fun recently. And this is the first time you've really seen them smiling, both of them, in a while. So that was a good opportunity to get that going. And so they're going to go to the feast after all. Again, like I said, I think in the previous podcast, it doesn't mean they're not going to do the feast just because Mika blew up at the mayor. They're still going to have it. And so Tresco, even if they were going to cancel it, Tresco would have just gone back to the mayor and said, hey, you know, go ahead and have the feast we'll be there. And also that reminds me of another thing that Evan when Evan says uh in page 372 that it was no problem checking out the you know, keeping an eye on the house for Tresca there was a little extra bit of dialogue that I was undecided on until the very last minute because I wasn't sure whether I was going to do this upcoming scene with them at the feast because you know it's obviously going to be a long enough segment of pages that I didn't really feel like doing it and I still don't. So, but I felt that, you know, since I was getting close anyway, I might as well just do it right and go ahead and have this scene. There was some stuff that I wanted to communicate. And so up until the very last moment, I wasn't sure whether I was going to have Evan, after saying no problem on keeping an eye on the house, also say I'm going to go talk to some people and then come back later. He doesn't say that because if he had come back later, he would have been coming back to say, hey, okay, I know where we have to go next. Let's go. We're leaving tomorrow. But instead, he didn't say that, and he's not coming back later, so that they can all go to the feast. Although, you know, it won't be long before he does basically say, here's where we're going next, let's go. Alright, so that's it for the commentary. I also have a question today. This is from Holden, otherwise known as Archon Divinus on the forums. He asks, I've noticed that Ufi makes a cameo in all of the town establishing shots, and I was wondering, is there any other recurring cameos or references in the strip, or just the one? And the answer is that the only other main reference is that in all of the wide shots after Mika's first fight with Sydney, there are clompas, and so there's one in near Tendra, there's one in near Mara, and there's at least one or two other ones besides. So that's another thing to keep an eye on. There are a couple of other things in the wide shots to look for. I mean, there's always little details all over them, which is why I don't do them so often because they take a long time and it's kind of a pain in the ass to come up with stuff to fill space on the page. But yeah, there's stuff to see in those two, which I'm not going to name because it's more fun to let people see if they can discover it. But as far as like official cameos, UV and the Klampas are the main ones. So thank you for that question. I wish more of you would send questions, but of course you don't. But if you do have questions or comments, you can email them to me via the link on the homepage. You can use the send me an audio button on the podcast page, which has still remained unused except for a little funny test from Brent, which I should play here, but I'm not going to. Or you can post something on the forums, and as I've said in the past, make sure to say that you want it answered on the podcast, otherwise I might just answer it in the email or something and then not read it here. Some of the music provided tonight was from the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. So there.